Welcome to episode 10 of the Faith in Real Life podcast. If you've ever looked at a situation and thought, how in the world can this worst case scenario turn out for my actual good? Or if you've come to the end of the situation and wondered, is this what God really meant for good? Because I'm, I'm not feeling it. Then don't hang up. Stay here with us because we're going to share with you how and why you can know that even the most tragic situation that you'll ever face can be for your good. I'm your host, Amy Dalkey, And I'm your host, James Thompson. All right, so Pastor John's sermon on Sunday was stop number four of the Bible Road Tour. And that stop is Romans 8.28. So in this series, we've looked at popular Bible verses and how they're often pulled out and slapped on coffee mugs and t-shirts. Exactly. And while that's all well and good, I think the point of this sermon series is that if anybody ever came over to have coffee with you and, you know, one of your one of your friends that don't know Jesus, then maybe you could know what your coffee mug means. Or I think just learning about the context of, of those verses is very helpful just because, you know, you hear these verses all the time. Right. You see them everywhere. And I'll tell you, on almost every stop of this tour, I have not really known the context of these verses that have been lifted out and put on those greeting cards and, you know, bookmarks and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So I've, I've really learned a lot as we've gone on from week to week, and that uh, includes this week's. You want to start with reading the verse? That would be good. <laughs> I've got it here. And then um, I had, a, you know, I had trouble this week, and I don't know why. You seem to be fine and ready to go, and I, I had a little bit more issues trying to get my mind around this verse, but here we go. It's uh, Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So Pastor John had set up the background for us, and he had explained that Romans is, the book of Romans is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in Rome. And this was during a time in history when Christians were facing the constant threat of persecution. Persecution to me isn't what it was to the first century believers Right, because I, I think persecution might be somebody made fun of me because I said, you know, Jesus. Right. Yeah, we're not uh, we're not dealing with being ostracized, put in a right. coliseum with right. tigers and, and facing stuff. actual death. Right. Like it's pretty big stuff. One thing that I got out of the, out of the, the message uh, that John sort of um, talked about putting the verse into context was uh, dealing with the spirit. Um, so he goes back to the first parts of Romans 8, basically verses 5 through, all the way up through the verse that we were dealing with uh, this week. And there was so much in there that I, I that I learned that I hadn't really thought of. Well, so let me just talk about some of that stuff. So uh, verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh, uh, on, fle- on the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And so he he's setting up the whole idea that we have indwelling with us the Holy Spirit. Right. So initially, right off the bat, I'm thinking, well, what is it that I desire? Um, and I think that's part of the problem that I have is I, you know, I set my sights on things that are not of the Spirit, but more, you know, sort of worldly desires. And it may reminded me of another proverb that was sort of convicting. And let me see where it is. Oh, Proverbs 27, 19. Death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are human eyes. Wow. Uh, you know, left to my own devices, I'm going right. to obviously... Um, lead myself to death and destruction. So I have to focus on what the Spirit desires and sort of rely more on that Spirit. I um, mean, he talks about how we have the resurrection Spirit in us, the same power that raised mm-hmm. Jesus uh, indwells in us. And then what I also found very comforting is when he was talking about how 
there are times when we pray and we don't have the words. Right. That the Holy Spirit is there to intercede on our behalf without words. Right. Which I, you know, kind of shows that the Holy Spirit and God are so intertwined that we don't need words. They know, right. you know, they they know exactly what we're thinking, and so and that intercession is a great word because it is going to bat for us. Right. And will and and actually that that part that verse says will intercede for us, and I think it's in accordance with the will of, of God. So the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf so that we can get into that, that zone. We've talked mm-hmm. about the will mm-hmm. of God you know, a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, um, that trying to set us right. Um, all of that backstory, that the text, the pretext that John gave us, I thought was very enlightening. I, mm-hmm. I hadn't really thought of it when I was going back and getting ready for today. I mean, it's so dense. Right. I mean, all of Romans is, but definitely chapter 8, dealing mm-hmm. with the battle between the, the flesh and the spirit. Well, what I did is I kind of asked the question when I sat down to kind of process, you know, what it was that the text means for my life. I had to ask the question, so if all things work together for good for those who love God, then what does it mean to love him? Do, do I love him? Am I one of those that love him? What I found was that the verb tense for love in this sentence is active. It's a present active tense. And in the Hebrew would actually be translated as those who are loving God. You know, not those who loved him, those who have loved him, those who will love him, but who are loving God. And that was one thing, right? Like, it's a very now situation. But also, 1 John 5, 3 says that those who, to love God is to keep his commandments. That's what loving God means. It means to embrace what he says as that he's actually telling the truth and living your life accordingly. Well, it's, it's a very active thing. And from what, you know, what you've just said, and it's probably more work than we really want to consider it is. I mean, loving right. God is an everyday, every right. minute thing, which comes with an every minute decision. You know, Paul's already told us that, you know, when left to our own devices, when we don't rely on mm-hmm. the spirit that's in us, we're going to make the wrong decisions and we're not going to do those things. And so loving God keeping those commandments. I mean, that makes sense to me, but it's it's not something that it, I think is intuitive from reading it when you take that verse just by itself. Right. Uh, absolutely. Well, another thing that I found is that, and this was from, I think this was from the Strong's Concordance that I, I got this. In this verse, like, it talks about love in terms of preference. It's preferring to do God's will over our own. That's what loving is. It's a preference thing, and that makes sense to me when I break it down. But man, how often do I prefer God's will over my own? I actually prefer mine I- initially every time. You know, I, I, I'm sure people are tired of all the examples that I always give you. This my, my kids are doing what's easy is not always what's right. Right. And I think that's where Absolutely. I, you know, I tend to just fall down all the time. Uh-huh. Is doing what God would have me do is the right thing, the good thing. Right, the loving, mm-hmm. you know, following the commandments, but it's not the easiest thing, and I tend to just go easy on that. Great segue because, so I ask myself, okay, what does it mean to love God, and then what is good? I've got what I think is good, which could be different from what you think is good, which is altogether probably different from really what God says is good. Good is in this context means to the advantage of. Basically, God works to our advantage any situation. And I'll tell you what I, you know, what I initially think of uh-huh. the, the word good. And we know that in all things, God, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I think I would tend to, to define good as what I think is good for me right. or what I think 
I want or what I want. Right. And that's totally different from what is to my advantage. And of course, this is sort of an eternal good. Right. This isn't a temporal, this life good necessarily. And so that's where I think that's where we have the issue, right? It's like, I think what's good for me is that I have a a big house, a nice paying job or, you know, kids Mm -hmm. that obey and, you know, whatever it is, whatever Mm -hmm. I've been sort of the world tells me I should want is what I probably think is good for me. Um, And that's not the case. It's not the case at all. My version of good, and well, I guess it depends on what's the situation that I'm talking about, but a lot of times my version of good is the painless route, the pain-free, whatever is going to be quick, easy, and painless. That's that's what I call good because I, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to hurt in any kind of sense, physically, emotionally, whatever. Go easy on me, please. It's kind of how I see it. And However, this is where it, this verse gets really cool. The following verses, Romans 28, 29, and 31, talk about the process of sanctification. It talks about how we are to be conformed into God's image because originally, in way back in Genesis 1, where God saw that it was good and God saw that it was good, like you see all over, he created this and he saw that it was good. And he created this and God saw that it was good. And it goes on and on. Then it gets to when he made the man and woman and said it was very good, right? Well, that was all before sin. And so now here, Paul is talking about how God is making us back to who he intended us to be. And whatever God can use to make us how he intended us to be, that is what's good. Does that make sense? No, it is. I mean, it, it's in it, my head, right? It, yeah, it makes sense. And it, how you get back to good, though, is so we were good. Right. We were very good. Right. We've introduced all this muck and mire into ourselves. Right. So to get back to good, we have to get rid of all that. And that's what hurts a lot of times. And that's the suffering. That's why we as humans see the hurt and the suffering as something to avoid. I mean, we're totally risk averse. Well, and that that reminds me of those verses that says that he's going to refine us like gold. I mean, it's to get rid of the impurities is not an easy task. And it's not, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. that, that sounds very painful. Ultimately... We will be better for it. It will be to our advantage to get rid of those things, but it's not a pleasant deal. Exactly. So all that to say is that taken into context with the following verses that talk about being conformed into his image, is it means that our difficulties and our sufferings are what God uses to change us from what we are in the flesh to what he designed us to be. So therefore, good is basically anything that makes us be more like Jesus. And and part and parcel of that is, is, is having to be... This, there's suffering that that, right. that that seems that we have to undergo to get there. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that how you're, you're saying it? Yeah, absolutely. When you work out, when when you do things that are beneficial for your body, it doesn't necessarily feel good at the time. Yeah, and it's it's a self-imposed deal. I, I you know I created that. I was before we got on uh, and started recording. I was telling Amy that I've been you know I've been trying to work out and, and get stronger, and but part of getting stronger and getting more healthy is having to counteract all of the stuff the years and years of oreos that i have that i but oreos are good right (laughs) yes that i've got and i've actually made more work for myself to get back to where i should be Mm -hmm. but that was all my doing and that's exactly the case here but you know on a different Mm -hmm. different level going back to the sermon real quick though the, the sermon dealt with Sort of the, the, these questions that when you take this verse out of context, it would make it sound like 
why is it that people suffer right that we would consider like, why do bad things happen mm-hmm, to good people mm-hmm. i think that's a question that a lot of people have when they just read this verse and say oh obviously um if bad things are happening to me maybe i'm not loving god right yeah that's a trap mm-hmm. when when put in the context i think you we get we can flesh that out a little bit more i had a friend's father who had a really hard time thinking Bad things are happening to me. I'm obviously failing on my spiritual side. Uh, maybe I'm not loving God enough. And so he thought, he was sort of, he fell into that trap where he thought, man, I've got to do more, more Bible study, more praying, right. um, and then things will go better. Right. The whole, the whole message that John was trying to give is that's not the correct way. Mm-hmm. Obviously, things aren't ideal. We messed up three chapters in. Because I was talking to Missy, uh, we were having a conversation about this, and you know, when we have, when we have these conversations about people that get diseases and, and suffer because mm-hmm. of a, you know, cancer or, or what have you, that why does that happen? You know, yeah. I think that's the trap that we all fall into. Like, that we, we think that there's some sort of mm-hmm. correlation there and there really isn't. Right, because all of that is a result of the sin that entered the world three chapters into the story. But the hope is that in those hard things that that God allows us to experience, God can bring us closer to Him and make us more like Him through those things. So ultimately, suffering doesn't have the last word. There's always hope. God is going to use it for our advantage. The message made me think of Job, and um, that was one of the things that kept coming to my mind is, Job was tested. He lost everything, mm-hmm. everyone. And people, you know, his friends were even coming and giving him bad advice. And although he had questions for God as to why these things were happening, mm-hmm. he never turned his back on God. Right. Um, and I think that's comforting that we can be frustrated. We can, we can under, we can get that we mm-hmm. don't, we don't know. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole dialogue in Job where God starts, okay, you've asked me a bunch of questions and you're demanding, you know, an answer. And then God just peppers him with questions that sort of reminds Job that you're never going to understand my ways. Right. I mean, and at the end of the, at the end of the book, he sort of acknowledges, look, I, I get it. I, I'm not going to fully understand, mm-hmm. but praise be to you. Um, he repents for, you know, some of the things that he had said. And I think that's, that's comforting that we can have questions. We don't have to know the answers right. and we, we can be frustrated in, in our situation, but that ultimately we continue to have faith and we continue to exactly. praise God. That that's pleasing to God. That's ultimately what you know, mm-hmm. we're sort of called to do. There's a verse in, Thess- in uh, 1 Thessalonians I thought was really interesting too for we see people that have these afflictions, like their faith, you, you see they have really strong faith even in the midst of having these bad right. things happen to them. There's such a, a beacon you know, they're like, I, I can't believe this person is, is has such a great attitude. And mm-hmm. I'm sure mm-hmm. we can name a, a couple of people. Absolutely. But there's a verse that says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of suf- severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you become a model to all believers. And he was talking about in Macedonia and some other town I can't mention. Right. I can't <laughs> pronounce. But the Holy Spirit within you gives mm-hmm. you joy in those situations. You can be an example to others. And I think that also is a, is a way that you can be in God's will. Right. I mean, For God's glory. If we resist suffering, then we're resisting the very thing that God is can use to make us more like him. That's just ironic to me. It's like because our view is so different from his, living by faith in Jesus Christ, we could 
straight up, like live a life of peace and no anxiety. <laughs> because we could know that anything that we face, anything I face today, whether the worst tragedy to me happens, it could make me more like Jesus. That sounds like a very cheesy, trite thing to say, but that's the kind of faith I want. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's not going to be easy. I Ever. Mean, it wasn't easy for Paul. Right. I mean, it wasn't easy for Job. Yeah. I mean, John the Baptist. I right. mean, it wasn't easy, and, it, and it's never promised to be. But that's all sort of, it wasn't easy in this life. Mm -hmm. And that's not the necessarily, that's not the good that we're talking about here. We're talking about the ultimate good right. for us, which is the eternal good. Okay, well, we'll check this out. So the early believers, the, those who knew Jesus, had walked with him, had been with him, saw him crucified, saw that he had come back to life. Jesus was real, right? And they knew it because they lived with him. And those people expected suffering. They knew that Jesus suffered. Why, if Jesus has suffered so greatly for them, how could could they and how could we expect life to be like cozy? I don't know. I think it's I think we have such a different view of the way things are supposed to be. Because they were they lived in a in a day of where believers were persecuted and they risked their lives. Well, I think it's ironic that in places where Christians are still persecuted or, or persecuted mm -hmm. greatly, right. you see a groundswell of sort of this faith building. Right, right. The more persecution, the stronger mm -hmm. the faith, it seems. You know, and, and we have that, I think, you hear sort of stories out of the, the General Conference where like the African churches are severely persecuted, mm -hmm. but it's strong and growing. Right. It seems counterintuitive that, that you would figure, oh, well, they're persecuting that. You're... Mm -hmm. But that's where it's it's actually, you know, exponentially growing. And it doesn't seem like that would make sense. Yeah. Kind of keeping in line with that, there's a verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 5, 8, that says, Jesus learned obedience through suffering. I don't know that I'd ever come across that verse until maybe sometime last year. And it almost like leapt from the page and it was one of those verses that I knew that God wanted me to see something in, but I didn't want to because who wants to suffer? I Don't tell me I need to suffer to be like Jesus. Since then, I've come back to that verse and like I really wanted to figure out, okay, what did that mean? If Jesus suffered, if he learned obedience through suffering, then doesn't it make sense that that's how we would learn obedience? And maybe suffering isn't always like major tragedy, like, but suffering is also like suffering through letting go of things that we think we really need to be happy or suffering through just disciplining ourselves to set our own agendas aside to do what God says instead of what we want to do. I mean, that's suffering too, in some sense. It's discipline. Right, yeah, I think, yeah, setting aside what, what we've been accustomed to, where we've grown up with the right. world, you know, sort of mm -hmm. telling us one thing and mm -hmm. God saying, that's not it. Right. We read it, we know it, we know that we're not supposed to, but yet we still cling. Yeah. And that's that's it. Like, you, it's the difference between knowing and practicing. Right. Which I think is probably a problem for a lot of people. Right. Book knowledge and, and mm -hmm. practical. And I, you know, I, I do that myself, I mean, where... Oh yeah, I, I understand. That's a good, that's a great story, but I don't know that I, I live it and as much as I should, or I incorporate it as much. And 
every week I meet with these guys and we talk about our failings and where we, you know, we could have done better. And a lot of times we have, we don't say like, oh, you know, I can't think of one. And that's just as bad as like, we've, we've gotten to the point where we don't even notice that we're missing the mark so often. Cause it's not like we don't do it many times a day. Uh, we just, we've gotten to the point where we just sort of gloss over it. And that's part of the problem. Okay, so if suffering is what God uses to grow us, or one of the things that he can use, I I don't think that in order to grow, we always have to suffer. I don't want to come across like I'm saying that. But if that is one of the things that can grow us, then when we're resisting the suffering, we're resisting the growth. But also, it makes me think, okay, then if that's how, if that's what God is going to use, then it makes me want to see things in that light because I don't want a weak faith. I want like a bodybuilder's like faith. <laughs> I mean, I don't want like that, that would... big muscles and I appreciate the visual. <laughs> no, really. I, th- I think part of that is relying on the spirit. Going back to that part, um, when, when John was talking on Sunday, he said he, he's chasing the ambulance to the hospital, which as a lawyer, I appreciate. Um, the, <laughs> nice. But the... Are you on one of those billboards? Yeah. But the, the biggest the biggest fear there is that the fear of death. And going back to those early verses in Romans, it talks about how we were not given the spirit to be fearful. And so we're you know, it's supposed to, to give us courage and, and strength. And then you have the verses after mm-hmm. this verse at the end of the chapter that talk about, you know, nothing can separate us. And if you break it down, I think it's 37, or, is, or 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, so that's we're dealing with the mortality right. there, um, neither angels nor demons, so we're talking about the spiritual realm, nor the present or the future, so we're talking about time, nor any powers, which I looked up, which was sort of more of a, a miracles mm-hmm. sort of reference, as opposed to sort of powers that be, you know, governments and stuff, neither uh, height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. So all creation is included. The only thing not mentioned is God, and of course, that's who we don't want to be separated from anyway. Right. So once we get over the, I guess the fear, I guess the fear of death is when that's where the power comes mm-hmm. in, or that's where the, the courage and the, the bodybuilding type faith that you're right. talking about. Once we've sort of let that go, and then of course, we've all seen people that we've, we've known that were close to death and have embraced that, mm-hmm. and it, they're just, they just radiate. Mm-hmm. That's amazing to me. I knew a woman who dealt with cancer for a a long period of time. In a conversation one day, she talked about how she had known God and walked with God for so many years that God had proven himself to her over and over and over and over that when she was diagnosed with this this last round of cancer, even with all of the, the hurt and the pain and the sickness that she knew was coming, she said that, she genuinely praised God because she knew going through that with God was going to develop her intimacy with him even more. That to me, like unfathomable that you get diagnosed with cancer and you're like, yes, God, bring it. I can't wait to know you more through this. That's hard for me to imagine, but I see it on her because that's, that's how she lives her life. That's who she is. I listened to a message with a guy with ALS. The guy was giving his testimony, and it was a computer 
generated voice. I mean, so because the, he couldn't speak, right? In the right? course of two years, okay. this guy had lost his ability to turn over in bed. I mean, he just lost wow. everything. He couldn't stand up. He couldn't talk. Couldn't eat. But he was thankful that he was still able to share his advice. He he still participated in like couples ministry. Um, wow. And he still he still challenged people on whether or not they pr- they prayed with their wife or not. Um, he was still calling people out. He was still holding them accountable. He wasn't focusing in on his, his suffering and his issue. He was still seeing how he could still be of service. And yeah, it's, it's just an amazing thing. Like that, that, that acknowledgement that, man, I can still be useful for God. This isn't the end of, Mm -hmm. of, of my usefulness. Mm -hmm. I can still be one on a personal level. I can still become closer to God. And for him, he's still looking for ways that he can serve. That's incredible. But as you're talking, it makes me think, okay, that kind of person is the proof of God. That's the proof of God's power. He's literally living proof that God is. Because in this world, our human reaction and our human response to that kind of thing is not going to be gratitude. I mean, who does that? No, no. And that's ultimately what we're intended to be. <coughs> so essentially it brings back the point that I was making earlier that God created us and he said it was very good. And then now the things that we suffer, God uses just to bring us back to who we were meant to be, which is to glorify God, right? And no matter what we do, it seems that no matter no matter how many bad turns we take, right? <laughs> ultimately he's trying to get us back. Mm-hmm. And that way is always available, and so, and that's comforting that we can never be beyond that reach. So this isn't a parenting podcast, right? I mean, we could both agree to that, right? Well, it's, God it's is our parent, maybe. Yeah. Oh, he is. He is. But I only say that because I think, just given where you and I are in our lives, we're parents, and much of the material that we have for anything comes from our experience parenting. All that to say that this whole concept made me think of how we're parenting our children. And when Luke turns 18, like I I don't want him to go out into this world and be a pansy for lack of a better term. Like somebody who can't face things or make decisions on his own, make wise decisions on his own. But that involves him learning through having to suffer consequences, learning through being disciplined when he makes mistakes. You know, it's that training process that, let me just confirm, is not fun. Like, not fun for me, not fun for him. I think I've said before, I resist it sometimes so much because I just want, I want to be an easy parent, you know? I want it to be easy. But it, it's not. But the thing is, is that if, if we insist on being like lawnmower parents, right? Do you know what that is? I heard this term. I love this term. I've, I've never heard that term. So do you thought, did you think I made it up? Because I, I would like to claim this. I can't. So lawnmower parents are parents who mow down every difficult thing in their child's way so that they can have a clear and easy path. Like no suffering. No, I get like it. That. I mean, it makes it, it's a great visual. I just, yeah. I've never heard of it. So what kind of, at the end of that, if that's how I, I parented Luke, then he's never going to build any kind of strength or wisdom or anything but entitlement. I don't, I don't want that for my child. I want my I want him to be a strong man who knows who he is, who can handle conflict. I th- you know, it's not a parenting podcast, but I'll tell you, I hear more of God come out of my mouth 
at times when I don't want to hear it. Oh, uh, this this week had to do with my middleist not wanting to take piano anymore, and we're like, "You're going to take piano. We think it's it, it's good for you ultimately to be able to read music and all of this right. stuff." And the fact that you don't understand why is not important. Right. We know better than you, and so then of course I'm thinking, "I get it. You know, God's talking to me through you know mm-hmm. me talking to her," um, and it's the same sort of thing that you know you're dealing with with Luke is. You want them to be able to uh, to fail at home, mm-hmm. um, and the you know, the whole the whole Bible is full of God setting the rules out, and right. people being left to their own will make bad decisions, and then He finds a way for them to come back and to redeem them, and and that's you know that's what you're trying to teach Him and try to do. But yeah, it's just I think there's a lot of parent you know the parenting to us. I think I learn a lot more when I'm trying to give it lessons to my kid that I have tried to avoid from God telling me. This is just a side note and and a tip for you if you ever want to use it, but well, actually you shouldn't because one day I can't even remember what the situation is, but I said, do you want to live a long life? And of course he, he said yes and I said, well, there's a promise in the Bible if you honor your mother and your father, you'll live a long life. But if you don't, you die soon. And I, I said that, like, it, and it was like, <laughs> I wasn't even trying to be funny or joking. Like, that doesn't go well, you know, like threatening with the word of God. The die soon part, I think, was <laughs> uh, added onto the tail end of that. Yeah, yeah. But I have heard that verse say, in my house before. It doesn't say that in the Bible. Uh, my bride has mentioned that verse uh, a number of times to my yeah. children, but not the die soon part. Yeah. Well, what's the alternative, right? If you're going to live long because you honor your mother and your father, then the alternative is you aren't. I don't know. Maybe that's not such a good tip. Back to our conversation. When we define good as anything that we face that can make us more like Jesus, that's what the good is. Knowing what good is in that verse, I think, is, is, um, is, is crucial putting our own definition on good really sort of messes up our expectations mm-hmm. and um but being more christ-like i think is one of those things that i think and no one can argue right is not a good thing right i always go back to this that's what happened in the very beginning god saw that it was good everything was good and adam and eve decided they wanted to be like god and they wanted to be able to define good and evil for themselves we're, we're still doing the same thing today we try to define good for ourselves instead of trusting God's definition of it. I just got convicted by saying my own words, and that's, <laughs> yeah. Coming away from this week, I got a um, convicted on the indwelling of the Spirit and relying on that Spirit and what that sort of entails. And, and I think that's probably what I'll continue to think about as we, you know, we leave. It's, it's one of those things I don't ever think about. It's, I think it gets short shrift a lot, yeah. the, the Holy Spirit and the whole Trinity. But I think as... As the intercessor for us, as the one that can speak on our behalf when we don't have the words, I thought that was a powerful lesson to pick up and to remember. Because you know, we all we, we hear these things over and over again, but they tend to go in one ear right. and out the other. But that that we have we have that intercessor, we have that ability to rely on the mm-hmm. Spirit to sort of take those prayers to God and to to set us right and to to give us strength. And that's that's what I take away. And I hope that. Um, Others just sort of 
gnaw on that a little bit and and sort of to, you know apply that to their daily lives that what are you know what are we fearful of and and ultimately it comes down to fear i think we let fear yeah. control i don't want to suffer i don't want to i don't want to feel yeah. this i don't want to and that fear is what we need to once we deal with that i think things open up yeah i like that i like that i say i like that but i think it's it's true because and perhaps if we aligned ourselves with god's definition of good then we wouldn't have to fear anything. So there you have it. That's it for this week's conversation. We hope that you will join us next Thursday for episode 11 of the Faith in Real Life podcast.